Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now okay everybody i have something really cool to tell you about if you haven't heard yet about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain here it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will uh, distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one single place. Now, the way that you can do this is you got to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and then you can get started it's really fun we just switched over recently here at all too real too and i'm enjoying it so far so be sure to check it out and uh let us know what you think Okay, everybody, welcome to the latest episode of All Too Real 2. My name is Michael E. Colin II, and with me via social distancing on Facebook <clears throat> Messenger is my best friend, my hetero life mate, my, um, my brother from another mother. What is your name, sir? Matthew Homelander Haas. Homelander Haas. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> like on the boys. Yeah. So you're. <laughs> you think you're like a, an Aryan-looking, asshole superhero. <clears throat> no, I'm just the opposite of him. I just call myself Homelander to piss him off. Oh, okay. I get you. Just like I call myself Sheldon. Anyways, um, to piss off the Big Bang Theory. Anyways, um, wait, no, I don't do that. You call yourself. Anyways, so, um, today's episode, we have 
character actor Troy Evans, who has been in a lot of things. Currently, he's on the TV show Bosch on Amazon Prime. Um, he's uh, probably most familiar to people for the over 100 episodes of uh, ER he appeared on as Francis Frank Martin, the uh, desk clerk on the TV show. Um, he was in Demolition Man. He was in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He was in The Frighteners. He was in um, Teen Wolf. He was in Under Siege. He was in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. There's a lot of things he's been in. Um, so you've seen him somewhere. He was in the TV show, uh, TV show China Beach about the Vietnam War. He also served in Vietnam as a soldier, which he talks about in the uh, interview. Um, great stories. I'll tell you that this guy is a great storyteller. Um, he's lived a very interesting life and I think it's one of my favorite interviews so far because he was just very cool with all of his stories. So here, uh, here is, uh, my interview with Troy Evans. Um, how are things going with all the craziness in the world for you today? Everything okay? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people who's pretty, uh, 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 appalled by the political situation. And oh, yeah. I can't wait till November 3rd and we'll get through it. But, you know, I'm, I'm 72 and I'm a, you know, a child of the sixties and a Vietnam vet. And, uh, uh, I, I thought I'd seen my worst and weirdest days. And now, you know, a thought I've had repeatedly here recently is that people who are your age and younger people who are 20 and 16 and 14, and when they're my age and people are wanking about whatever it is that's going south then, they'll say, oh, man, if you should have been around in 2020, dude. <laughs> you know, it's, sure. uh, you know I, I told a friend the other day, I said, I, I feel like I'm afraid to bend over, I think bats will come flying out of my ass he said yeah and they'll probably be louisville sluggers that was pretty good oh <laughs> ouch with splinters and all yeah I, I i agree with you there i know i'm i can't wait till november 3rd either so hopefully things get better i'm just hoping that you know and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, uh, the, the the level of just batshit crazy is just <laughs> off the charts. Um, first off, I just wanted to ask, uh, what what got you uh, interested in like entertainment and everything and acting and all that? So, well, uh, what happened for me is is uh, is not totally unique, but uh, fairly unusual. I grew up in a little tiny town up in Montana. And my grandfather was a, a politician in Montana. He was a, a state senator, and he was very active in the Republican Party. And uh, he was the uh, boxing commissioner for the state of Montana. And uh, I, I was avidly interested in politics 
from the, from the time I was a little kid, I can remember, you know, listening to the uh, uh, political conventions on the radio in like 1952. So I was four years old. Oh, wow. I'm sitting and listening to the, to the conventions. And then in, in high school, I, I was a page in the state legislature and uh, I had a, and I was student body president at my high school and, and I had a plan. And the plan was, I was going to get out of high school. I was going to be the first person in our, my family to go to college. I was going to get a law degree. I was going to get in the legislature. From the legislature, I was going to become the governor of Montana. Then I was going to be the senator from Montana. And then I was going to be the first uh, candidate for president from a Western state. That was my plan. And I was public about it. And people trusted me. I have my high school annual. Lots of people say, you know, remember me when you're president. You know. <laughs> so then I, I started college in 1966. And I was, uh, and to tell you how much things have changed, I got in my, I had a 1950 Chevy. And I got in it with my suitcase full of clothes to head down to Missoula to go to college. And my folks gave me a hundred dollars. Wow. <laughs> to go to college. And but I had a rock and roll band, Gang Green. And we were playing, you know, playing gigs and that and you could do that in those days. I mean, I could have worked in a restaurant or something. My thing was rock and roll, but you could actually work your way through college in those days without running up a gigantic debt. Yeah. But when you're taking the rock and roll route. Sometimes that means that, that eight o'clock in the morning class, you're not actually getting over there, you know? <laughs> or the eleven o'clock morning class, or the two o'clock in the afternoon class. That's still kind of pushing it. <laughs> and the upshot that was in those days, if you didn't maintain a two point, which is a low bar, yeah. you know, a two point is is staying awake in class. <laughs> uh, you got drafted, and that's what happened to me. My I took. Uh, a gap year in Southeast Asia. I ended up in the 25th Infantry Division, 68-69. Uh, and when I came home, I was a different guy. And I didn't know it. I And I, act, I can remember thinking this, and it's so bizarre when you think about it. I thought that I was exactly the same, but somehow magically in that two years I was in the Army, that everybody else in Montana turned into assholes. And I just, and instead of going back to school, I opened a, a rock and roll bar. I had a rock and roll bar up in Northwest Montana called the Powder Keg, ironically. <laughs> and turns out that's not a good profession for an alcoholic. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, I was, uh, so, and uh, a streptorous alcoholic. Man, I uh, uh, so I, I started getting arrested on a fairly regular basis, and I, you know, somebody would get out of line in the bar, and instead of putting them out of the bar, I'd just kick the holy livid shit out of them and throw them out in the alley. Yeah. And I get hauled over to the justice of the peace, and I get a stern warning and a sixty-five dollar fine, and and then a guy, and this guy was obnoxious. He he grabbed this woman's ass, and it, and the woman objected, and he got, and then the husband got in it, and the uh, perpetrator slapped the husband, and 
I went over to the bar and really messed that guy up, broke his legs, both his legs, dislocated his shoulder, skull fracture, brain concussion, middle of January, hauled him up, threw him out in the street in front of the bar. And But that gentleman happened to be an attorney. And when you pull that shit with an attorney, you don't get the stern warning and the sixty-five dollar fine. No, ended up and there was a, there were a lot of other. I mean, I was really out of out of control. I ended up with a forty-six year sentence, Montana State Prison, forty-six years hard labor for aggravated assault, which is essentially a, a attempted murder. And there's a whole. I mean, it's like a four-hour story. <laughs> but in in the interim, I had. Uh, not because I thought I needed help, but as a polit- as a uh, legal ploy, I committed myself to the Veterans Hospital down in Sheridan, Wyoming, in the alcohol ward. And at the time, my attorney asked me, said, well, Troy, said, are you an alcoholic? I said, no, I'm not an alcoholic. But the beauty of it is, since I drink like a fifth and a half a day, I think I can make them think I am. <laughs> and I was actually able to convince them. So then I came back and I got a plea bargain. Uh, I plead guilty to it and I get a six year suspended sentence. But you remember I mentioned my grandfather had been a politician in Montana? Yeah. Well, he had run three times against a guy named W.W. Leslie and he beat him all three times. And W.W. Leslie was my judge. Oh, wow. And I had, I have my grandfather's name. So I came in that Monday morning and I met with the prosecuting attorney just before we went in court and we made the plea deal. And I went in and entered the plea. And instead of the six years suspended, the judge gave me 40 years hard labor. And I turned to my attorney and said, what the hell am I going to do? And and my attorney, who was court-appointed attorney, all my money was gone by this point, he said, Oh, I don't know. Troy said, you know, I, I have to move my offices after best of luck to you, son. Shook my hand out the door. They've got me in the handcuffs. They're taking me out. The prosecutor is pleading with the judge, trying to explain to him, no, this isn't, you know, he's supposed to be getting this. And the judge said, well, he was this a bad boy. And he had a gun. He said, no, no, your honor, there's no gun involved in this. He, he said, well, what was he supposed to get? He said, six years suspended. He said, well, bring him back. So they brought me back and he, Tax, he says, I, I'm, I'm revising the sentence. So I think he's going to take it. He doesn't take the 40 off. He says, I'm sentencing the defendant to 40 years hard labor plus six years suspended. So now, I've got, <laughs> now I got the 46. But wow. the miracle of miracles, it was that fucking around right there that automatically put it in a, a system where the sentence is reviewed. So I went down to Montana State Prison. I was down there about two years, about the same length of time I was in Vietnam. And which at the time seemed like the worst part. I, I mean, I thought it was the end of, end of my life, you know. But in retrospect, if he hadn't done that, no way in hell I would have sobered up. Yeah. You know. No way in hell, and I would either be dead or in prison for sure now if he if he if he put me out on the, uh, uh, on on probation. But in that two years was enough to, for me to go. No, I'm I you know for, I will you know and none of that one day at a time stuff. This is 
if I get to where I have to have a drink, I'll just stick the gun in my mouth and be done with it because that's a lot quicker way to kill yourself. And But now while I'm sitting in the prison and I'm trying to figure out if I get out, what I'm going to do, I realize I can't own a bar anymore. Convicted felon. Yeah. Can't, uh, uh, can't go to law school. Uh, can't be a teacher. Can't be a police officer. Can't go back in the service. Can't. What the what what the hell am I am I going to do? And one day I went. I'll bet nobody ever asks an actor if he has a felony conviction. And I sent in what they call a kite, uh, which is when you send a message in the in the prison system. There's a little box you put the kites in. Ask for a copy of Hamlet. And I have that. I still have that with the wow. warden stamp in the front. Inmate Evans has permission to keep in his cell Hamlet. <laughs> I was sitting there in my little cell, and that, and that prison was built in the 1860s. I mean, it was a dungeon. I'm sitting in that little cement room going, to be or not to be. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, uh, got out uh, two years later, the sentencing commission, and they looked at everything, and, uh, and they decided to cut me loose. And uh, uh, and then I went down to Bozeman uh, uh, for that uh, Montana State University in the in their theater program. And you know, I, I don't know how many actors you've talked to. A lot of that, yeah. you know. I, uh, within about three months down there, I had made the startling discovery that I was probably the greatest living actor in the English-speaking world. You know? <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty, pretty fucking good at this shit. Well, you know, by that time, I'm like 26 years old or something, and I'm a, a war veteran, and I'm a ex-convict, and all the guys that I'm reading against are like 18-year-old high school kids, you know? Of course I'm going to get the good parts, <laughs> you know? So, uh, and then that following spring, I went to... I uh, uh, went to California on spring break to see an old girlfriend in Berkeley. And while I was there, I auditioned uh, for a, a summer theater. I saw posters around the campus at Berkeley and went and auditioned. And I, I wasn't trying to get a job because that was at a, uh, a place called Pacific Conservatory of Performing Arts, which was actually at a junior college, John Hancock Junior College in Santa Maria, California. And they had a uh, what it turns out was a very prestigious summer theater program. Now, I I was at Montana State University. I was not going to spend my summer at a junior college, <laughs> but I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to go in and try my pieces. Uh, so I went in, I did my two audition pieces, and it turns out the guy, and the guy was uh, a guy named Donovan Marley. I'm still friends with him. He's a marvelous human being, and he was like one of the three most important people in the theater in the state of, of California, unbeknownst to me. Oh, wow. And uh, I did the two, the two pieces, and he said, oh, very interesting. He said, uh, what's your song? And I said, uh, well, I, I, I don't sing. And he said, he said, oh, it's okay. It doesn't have to be a prepared song, just a little happy birthday or anything, just so I can get an idea of your timber. And, and I said, Maybe you didn't hear me, pal. <laughs> I said I don't sing. <laughs> and I, I look over and the accompanist, the guy I also know well, at least many years later, 
Bruce Seavey is looking at me like I'm Lex Luthor, you know, it's like, <laughs> holy shit, where did this animal come from? I got back to Montana. He sent me a uh, an offer for the summer, $600, to come do their, their summer theater. And the big stroke of luck was I knew a guy from Montana who was teaching at the college in Salinas, California. And so rather than just turn it down, I called this guy up and said, you know, this guy Donovan Marley wants me to come down there. And he said, Troy, if Donovan Marley offered you a job, you have to, you have to take that job. So I went down and I didn't like it. And it's one of those things, I don't know if you've ever been on the, I'm dry, it was like a three-day drive driving from Bozeman down to Santa Maria. And every every mile I drove, I got a little crustier thinking, oh, he's got his buddies down there. And I'm going to be, you know, doing little tiny parts. These kids down there in the junior college will have the big parts on. And here's just one. I mean, this is one tiny example. But do you know the show I'm on now, Bosch? The, yeah. the show on Amazon? Yeah. The executive producer of that show is Eric Overmeyer, who is a top-tier television writer and producer. Mm -hmm. And I met him that summer, 1976, at PCPA in Santa Maria, California. Now, this is, what's this, 44 years later, I'm working for him on television in Los Angeles. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, I did... 129 episodes of ER. I knew John Wells because his first wife was an actress at Pacific Conservatory of Performing Arts, and I met him through her. And that's just two examples. There's a there's a million of them. Yeah. Of basically my and my wife, uh, Heather Ann McClarty, was a prop builder at PCP. I met her that pretty much my whole life came out of that one rasty audition where Donovan overlooked my obnoxious uh, behavior and hired me anyway. So that, that's, a, that's a long answer to a but, little question. Well, that's a good story. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm just glad you didn't end up in prison the rest of your life. So you were able to, you know, share your love for acting that you figured out through Hamlet and everything. It's just, yeah. I don't know that, 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 that was a good story. Anyway, sorry. Um, didn't expect that for some reason, but yeah. Um, what, uh, well, yeah. hardly anybody else has no. that story. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the most unique story I've heard yet on the show, at least. Hi folks. This is Michael Lee Cullen, the second from the podcast that you're listening to right now, along with manager, Matthew Haas. You got promoted. Yes. Damn it. Okay, anyways, um, folks, uh, do you like the show Superstore? I don't know. I asked the folks, and nobody's answering well, me. Well, because they're not here. Oh, but we love damn it. it. Yeah, we love it, though. Okay, folks, if you like it as much as we do, you're really going to like the Superstory podcast, which is a podcast where Matthew and I go uh, episode by episode and give our little opinions and thoughts on it. Uh, sometimes we have guests, sometimes we don't. Um, just depends on how we're feeling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if you like this podcast and like our little crazy banter, then you should definitely check this out. Or I might get sad. And when I get sad, it gets pretty sad. Yeah. So I can't deal with him when he's sad. Yeah, no one can really. So, um, yeah. 
So, so check out uh, Super Story Podcast right here where you get this podcast, Super Story Podcast. What was the first uh, like big project that you got involved with? Well, the first the first big one, yeah, uh, was planes, trains, and automobiles. Nice, uh, and th- and that's another good story. I started working in television, but uh, you know, it I uh, in a very small way at this time. This is like about we could, we could look up when planes, trains, and automobiles was, but around nineteen eighty. 82 somewhere in there and at that point what i was doing i'd gone through a few seasons at the theater i talked about in santa maria and through being there i'd met these guys who uh who ran uh like center stage baltimore and uh, uh south coast rep in costa mesa and uh, the arizona theater company all those what they call the regional theaters and so i was getting those jobs and I'd go to Arizona and do a play. And then when the play was over, I'd come back. Uh, had a, I was sharing a little house in North Hollywood with a bunch of other actors and uh, come back and, and try to get in TV work. And what I was getting at that time, for the most part, was uh, I've always been cast as cops, which is kind of ironic. And I'd be, you know, the third cop, you know, the, you know, we'd have a big scene and I'd be the guy that. It comes third guy through the door, and I say, "Hold it!" <laughs> that that was the kind of jobs I was getting. So, I got an audition for a little tiny part in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and it was Mister Oshkenogan, the cheese truck driver. <laughs> and uh, and the the situation is uh, Steve Martin and John Candy are hitchhiking, and it's in a blizzard. And Mr. Oshkenogan picks them up, but he won't let them in the truck. He makes them ride in the back with the cheese. But there's no lines scripted. So I go in, and the director, was, and, and today that wouldn't happen. You wouldn't have the director there in the room with you. Everything's taped, and, and especially small parts like that. You're never going to meet the director. But So he's telling me what the part is, and he's so let's just uh, – I'll pretend on those guys, and if you want to ad lib something, and I remember, you know, there's an old plumber's expression. Uh, it might be shit to you, but it's bread and butter to me. You know? <laughs> and so that's why I, I just, I just gave him a little. I said, "Okay, I'll give you guys a ride." He said, "But I'm putting you back there in the trailer. I want you to be careful back there. That might be cheese to you, but it's bread and butter to me, pal." <laughs> and he thought that was fantastic. And my agent calls me. I got hired. Now we were in a, my uh, at that time. My Heather and I were living together in Hollywood, and uh, we had a little apartment that was three hundred dollars a month, and we didn't have it. And the agent calls me and says they hired you for one day on planes, trains, and automobiles, and and you'll get a thousand dollars. Wow, a thousand dollars for it. I was like. Oh my God! I I was so happy, and then he called back. I, you know, I was so green. I knew nothing. I uh, said, uh, "Well, uh, they decide they're going to shoot that scene in Buffalo, New York." I was like, "Buffalo, New York? How in the fuck am I going to get to Buffalo, New York? <laughs> By the time I go all the way to Buffalo, New York, I've spent the whole thousand dollars." Oh, he says, "No, no, no." He said, 
they fly you to New York, they put you in a hotel, and you get paid for the travel day out and the travel day back. So you get three days. So well, what do they pay me for the travel days? He said thousand dollar. <laughs> so I'm getting so I'm getting three thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh my God! This this that's ten months rent. Like holy shit! So I fly to Buffalo, New York, and I'm in Buffalo for two weeks, and they don't shoot the scene. Plus. The day I get there, a teamster comes to my door and he's got $150. And I was like, hey, 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 I don't know what's going on here, but I'm supposed to be getting $1,000 a day. He said, per diem? I said, what's per diem? He said, that's your spending money. I said, I don't think I get spending money. He said, yes, that's what the $150 is. Oh, $150. So now... I'm there, I'm just, I'm sitting in a hotel and I'm afraid to leave. I'm afraid they'll see me and send me back to LA, you know? And I, it's one of those things, I keep adding it up over and over. Let's see, I got here Friday and this is, I've been here nine days and it's, oh my, you know, it's just building stuff. So then they called me down to the office and said, uh, we're moving the company to uh, Chicago. And I was like, (laughs) so uh, they're not going to do my, scene i go back to la no no we'll we'll take you with us so uh uh you know we'll, we'll shoot your scene in chicago well they didn't shoot the scene in chicago so i had uh two weeks in buffalo a couple of weeks in chicago st louis kankakee illinois woodstock ohio cleveland hollow ohio quail hollow ohio uh, uh, uh 11 different cities 51 freaking days Wow. Before shoot me saying that one, looking out the cab of the truck and saying that one line that I <laughs> that I made up, and about halfway through, uh, this was in St. Louis. I'm walking down a hallway um, in in the hotel, and I walk past a guy, and his name, his last name was Mockless. I can't remember his first name. I sh- I should it might have been Gene, and. Uh, uh, I, I get a few steps past him. He was the he was the showrunner. He was the uh, you know he was the producer who actually had to produce the movie, had yeah. to be there and make things work. And he stopped. He said, "Excuse me." I turned. I said, "Yes." He said, um, "Are you are you Troy Evans?" I said, "Yes." And he said, "Troy, are you on a daily or a weekly?" Now, in the meantime, I had been wised up a little bit by some of my friends in LA and turns out I'm making that $7,000 a week but under the SAG contract since I was hired for the day that they could convert me to a $2,500 weekly contract right so he says are you on a daily or weekly I said I'm on a I knew this was going to happen sooner or later you know I said I'm I'm on a day oh Neil Neil Mockless, <laughs> nice man. I said, I said I'm on a, uh, uh, I, I'm on a on a daily Neil. He said, oh, he said, well, I I, I need to get you converted to a weekly. <laughs> and I said, Neil, don't even think about it. Don't even bring it up. And he said, uh, no, I I guess that wouldn't be right. And that was like halfway through. So I made like an extra 20 grand. Wow. Just, I, and, and I didn't think he was going to not 
do it. I was just fucking around. You know? <laughs> I, I was just, never occurred to me he'd actually take me seriously. <laughs> and so when I left, we were trying to pay for uh, our $300 a month rent. And when I got home, we bought our first house. Wow. Yeah. So that, and I'll tell you an irony of that, uh, you know, the, the kind of actor I am normally, when you see in a, me in a movie, I'm working for five or six weeks and I'm making five or $6,000 a week. It's kind of the, you know, yeah. I'm not a movie multimillionaire. That was the first, I've done 60 movies. That's the most money I've ever made on a movie. <laughs> one, one line in <laughs> automobiles, my first movie, over $50,000. It's like one of the most expensive yeah. lines in Hollywood history, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just, I just, and nine times out of ten, if you see the movie, I'm not in it because that it's awfully easy to, especially on TV. I'm almost always cut out. Oh wow, yeah. But I still, I still get a residual check. <laughs> I still make now in, in 2020. I'll probably make five hundred dollars this year in residuals on that because they always play that at the holidays. They oh, always yeah. play it, and it it tends to go. The amounts go down and down and down, but still, that's been a very, that was a very good job. Yeah, I, I watch that movie every year. I know that because it's it's my tradition. No matter where I am on Thanksgiving, I watch that every year. So. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me tell you another, another quick story about that. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the Weston O'Hare, which to me, I didn't know hotels like that existed. <laughs> I had, you know, I'm in a hotel room with, with three TVs in it, <laughs> you know, a TV in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> a little suite at the, at the Weston O'Hare. And I'm just sitting up there having my, my room service. And, and it's the day of the Academy Awards and the phone rings and it's John Candy who I have never met because I'd only been on a movie for five or six weeks, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and, and he said, uh, uh, Troy, I said, yes, this is Troy. He said, Troy, this is John Candy. I said, hello, John. He said, Troy, he said, uh, I'm having a few people over to watch the Academy Awards tonight and wondered if you'd like to join us. <laughs> God, I was so excited. Now, I didn't have any faith. I, you know, I left home with one change of clothes. So I bought a few things along the way, but not much. So I didn't have any, any way to dress up or anything, you know, but I took a shower and went up to John. I'm thinking I'll get to, you know, hang with the producers and the director and, you know, and none of those people are there. You know who was there? All the people like me. Wow. He went through the company list. And he invited all the people who were nobody and had them all up to his room and got like a thousand dollars in room service. And we watched the Academy Awards. It was lovely. And it was the first time in my life I had money to spend. You know, I was getting fifty dollars <laughs> a day per diem, you know. So and, and I mean literally he got at least a thousand dollars worth of room service. There were only like ten of us up there, you know, but he wow. got a huge amount of uh, of room service. So on the way out, I, I tried to give him $200 for the, you know, towards the food. And I'll remember this as long as I live. John Candy said, Troy, that's been taken care of. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, I loved him. Too bad he died so young. He was such a great guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. One of my favorites. Yeah. 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 And, and you'll never hear a bad story about him. Oh, I know. You know, he was always, 
always the good guy. That's awesome. Um, and you said that you knew John Wells. Is that how you got on ER then? Or, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I worked with uh, this woman that he would, he was married to in back in the, you know, early, early eighties, uh, named Belinda Wells. And she was at PCPA and John Wells, uh, uh, they knew each other from college at uh, Carnegie. I believe they both, both went to Carnegie. And, uh, so, uh, then he started, uh, writing and producing, um, and he, he produced a, I don't remember the name of it, but a, a TV pilot about a family of carpenters, um, uh, and, uh, ha- had me on that as a recurring character as a building inspector. And it never, it, it never, you know, we did the yeah. pilot and it never went past that. And then uh, he became, he was one of the writers on a series called China Beach. And uh, which that was the Vietnam nurses, Dana Delaney and Mark Helgenberger both became stars off that show and both deservedly. And I love both of them very much. Um, and so he, and here, here's another, you know, there's, there's different ways to look at, careers and I, I have actors and I, and I respect this actors who just, if the part isn't good and the money isn't good, they won't do it. And they've been that way from, you know, and they just, and they fight scratch and and sometimes that works, you know, uh, for, uh, powers booth, for instance, he, you know, I mean, he never did a small part no. ever, 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 you know, uh, but my thing has always been take every job. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And on China Beach, they asked me to come in in the either the end of the first season or the beginning of the second season, and uh, and play this. Uh, it was another one of these parts that wasn't really scripted, and it was a thing where Dana and Marg had been sent back to the U.S. for some reason, and uh, uh, they put them through this. Uh, uh, sort of humiliating uh, routine when I got back, sprayed him with disinfectant, yelled and screamed at him, and you know, all this m- macho military bullshit. Yeah. And so that was what the part was, was just for me to come in and, and play. You know, I'd, I'd been an infantry sergeant, played this badass, uh, sort of Arlie Army kind of character, just screaming shit at these two women. And I did that. And then. Uh, a few weeks later, they had me come back as the motor pool sergeant. And then I did three or four of those, the motor pool sergeant. And then the following year, they made me a series regular on China Beach. And then, unfortunately, it got canceled not long after that. But but that was my first, you know, turn as a, as a series regular. And, uh, and that was all because of John Wells. Um, and then, then he did, uh, he started ER. And when he very first, which I think that was 92, and in the, he called me, it was a very nice call, said it was a little part, but he would really appreciate it if I would do it to be, be Noel Wiley's first patient, who was a police officer who'd been shot in the leg. And then later you find out, I think they ended up cutting this out, uh, but you found out it was actually his wife who'd shot him. He said he'd shot himself accidentally in the leg, but his wife had shot him at all. <laughs> in a little family, little family disagreement, and so that, so I did that, 
the pilot, and then six years went by, and then Abe Ben Ruby, uh, uh, for his own reasons, I don't know exactly why, he was playing the the desk sorry, the desk clerk. Yeah. In the in the hospital, and he left, and they called me up about eleven o'clock one night. Would you be interested in being the new desk clerk on ER? And I was like, well. I'd, I'd have to think about it. Hell yes. <laughs> you know, I did, did a, a 109, 129 episodes, I think, of, of a year. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's... My, the last last nine years, uh, 2000, 2009. Yeah, I never, really, I never realized until a few years ago, well, maybe going on 10 years ago when it was going off the air or something, or whenever, whenever it ended, uh, I went back to rewatch all the episodes and I never realized how many episodes there were. I was renting all the DVDs from uh, from like a Hollywood video and <laughs> watching them all with my ex girlfriend. It's like three forty or three fifty, isn't it? I mean, yeah, something. A... It was a lot. I mean, we we yeah. we somehow made it through it in a like year or two. So <laughs> yeah, it was like all we were watching. What uh, what kind of advice would you give to anybody that's interested in acting? Well, boy, that's a very tough question. Yeah, uh, because there. Well, and I just touch on it a little bit like. You know, there's, I guess the, the big thing is that there isn't an answer yeah. and there isn't a way to do it. And for instance, the, the thing that I just talked about, about the way that I've done, which is doing, and I've done lots of parts that lots of, of, lots of actors would turn down. Yeah. And I, you know, people say, how do you pick your parts? If they'll hire me to do a part, that's the part I pick, mm-hmm. you know, that's, and I always, and more often than not, that works out pretty well, that that may lead to something else down the road. Now, it may have kept me from moving up the ladder and, and becoming a, a more substantial character actor, one of the, the guys who's really up there in the club. But on the other hand, uh, I'm pretty happy with the stuff I've gotten to do. Yeah. And so, but, but you have to make those choices yourself on, and I, I totally understand why people would say, well, I'm not going to do that stuff. I don't feel like doing, mm-hmm. you know, but the other thing is there are all these theories of acting, you know, there's, I'm sure you're aware of the, of the method. Yeah. And there's God knows how many interpretations of what, the method is uh you know the great john barrymore line somebody said are you a method actor he said well he said, you know there are a lot of methods mine happens to be a bottle of bourbon and a monstrous talent <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you, you've got harrison ford who I, I have infinite respect for and what harrison ford says is you know i belong to the let's pretend school of acting no, let's pretend that I'm the president of the United States in a hijacked airplane and <laughs> you do that, you know? So I guess what, what I'm trying to get to in my kind of winding kind of way is particularly if you get to a, like in LA or New York, where there are tens of thousands of people trying to be actors, there are all kinds of people also selling the solution. And all kinds of acting classes you can get in, and all. And I tell people, you know, do all that stuff. Anything you have time for, you have the money for. Don't, if it's too much money, don't do it because that shit doesn't cost money. 
you know, I mean, it costs some money to have a little space and go in. But if somebody is, is trying to rack you for big sums of money for acting classes, go somewhere else. There are people who do it for nearly free. And the, the most important thing is to not adapt the idea that whoever you're giving this $50 to for this class this month has the answer. He might have some stuff that interests you that you can incorporate into your personal style. But that's, you know, find your own method and stick with it and do it. And as we know, in my case, from the stories I've already told you, it's the people that you meet along the way. It's, it's the, you know, it sounds like corruption. It's not, it's the same in every business. Oh, yeah. The people, you know, if I hadn't met John Wells, now I would have done something, but I wouldn't have done ER. I wouldn't have done China beach. Yeah. You know, I, well, there's, uh, and then who knows how many other opportunities would have been missed because those, those, uh, productions raised my my profile and and uh, so I, I guess the si- the simplest answer is if you want to be an actor you just have to keep at it and it's not easy yeah. because in in LA I don't know what the figure is but there's at least ten thousand actors available for every part so of course it's it's going to be hard and it, and that's another thing. Uh, uh, assuming that there's a young actor listening to this, you may get disappointed. You re- there's a part you really want, but the thing I've told, I've physically, te- I've told myself this a thousand times. No other actor ever got my part. I don't care how good I was in that audition. If Dick really got it, it's Dick Reilly's part. Yeah. No. So forget that and go on to the to the next thing. I mean, there's, I mean, the the I think it's basically you know there's nobody it's you just weren't right for that role and that doesn't mean you're a bad actor. It just wasn't what the person was looking for. You know. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> here I'll tell you. You ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So I got an audition. So this is what, fifteen years ago, maybe something like that. Yeah. At least ten. Yeah. Uh and the part was fantastic. It was a 800-pound, uh, 6,000-year-old lizard man. <laughs> and, and the lizard man was, a, was a, a wizard and evil and very angry because someone had put a curse on him 6,000 years ago and turned him into this giant lizard. So he had to have these people follow him around and because lizards have to be wet or they die, you know. So he had to have all these minions who sprayed water on him. And this fantastic uh, speech, Shakespearean, uh, a rant about because he'd been plotting the end of the world for thousands of years over this horrible thing that was done to him. He was going to destroy the, the whole world. So I go to the audition. And I, I get there a little early and I sit down and the casting director comes in and she was so nice. And she said, oh, Troy, you know, I've tried to get you in here so many times and you were always doing something else. And then this part came and I'm so excited that you could be here. I just, I'm so, that's, that's nice to hear. And she goes in and then the director comes by, the director stops 
and uh, you know, go, going in the room and says, and he was a guy that I worked for and life goes on. He said, oh, I'm so happy to see you here. And, I, and they go in and then these three producers come by and they said, you know, you may not know us, but we produce, and they've been on something. They've been producers on something else I worked on and they were so happy to see me. And, and then they go in the room and they're in the room about half an hour. And meanwhile, the waiting room is filling up because they, they, you know, they schedule these, you know, like every 10 minutes an audition or something, you know, and there's more and more and more actors and they're not seeing anybody. And finally they come out and call me and say, Troy, uh, can you come in? So, uh, so I go in, I said, sorry to keep you waiting. You know, we got in here and we start telling Troy Evans stories. I already had a Troy Evans story and we we're just laughing. <laughs> so then I told a few Troy Evans stories and we, and we just, and then we do the, the audition piece and I'd worked on it and I, uh, I can do rage, you know, and you know, have you ever ridden one of those things or seen them in a movie, those carnival rides where you, it's like a giant barrel and you stand against the side of the barrel and it spins around. Then they remove the floor and the oh, centrifugal yeah. force just holding it. That's what the audition was like. As I'm doing the audition, it was like all those people in the room were blown back against the wall. And it's just, I mean, it was a triumph. I smoked it and finished hugs all around. Everybody's so happy and I leave. Well, I never think I have the part because it, it's, and I don't think that I don't have the part, it's just, but it's just, there's so many variables that I never go home. I never punish myself with that. You know, well, I got this one because that way madness lies, you know, but in this case, I couldn't conceive that I didn't have this part. And another thing I don't do, I don't call up the agent and say, uh, hey, you know, I auditioned for that, whatever it was, you know, that L.A. law. And, and uh, we haven't heard from, can you call up, find out? Because all that's going to happen, they're going to call up and the casting director is going to say, no, he didn't hire me. He came in, he stunk up the room. You know, why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why would I want? want yeah. to initiate that exchange you know i know i already know i didn't but in this case i was so sure that i had it based on all those interactions that i called the agent now i'm thinking well maybe they pushed the episode back for a week or something and that's why they haven't called i said you know i i went in on that buffy can you call and see what's going on in the, and the agent calls me back a few minutes later I said troy he said they they loved you they loved you but the executive producer uh, felt they needed to go a little younger with the 6,000 year old lizard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a 3,000 year old. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm just a little too long in a tooth for the 6,000 year old guy. Yeah. If we were doing a 7,000 year old lizard man, you'd be perfect. <laughs> Oh, that's so, funny. but, but you, you know, you can't beat yourself up. No, because, you know, it's what they, you know, it's eventually that person's part, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's, and, uh, the, uh, director and the cast director, they have an image in their head and I, you know, you go in, you do your best to make what you're doing be their image, but sometimes you, you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I've directed a couple features myself, like low-budget ones. But, uh, you know, we, we 
went through three different people for the lead in one of my movies. It just didn't work out with two people. And then the person that ended up getting it turned out to be what we were looking for the whole time, basically. So, you know, (laughs) you never know. Right. Uh, Yeah. Hey, folks, this is uh, Michael E. Cullen II um, from the podcast that you're listening to right now, along with Matthew Haas. We just wanted to tell you about our great, great podcast called Super. It's called All Too Real. And on that show, what, what do we do, Matt? We, we watch biopics, and then we talk about whether or not the movie matched up with the real story or not. So we, That's we, a lot we, more exciting than that, though. Yeah, so, 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 so we, we analyze the real story and the real story. Get it? Get it? Real. You know? Yeah, they're, they're spelled differently, yeah. folks. You can guess which one I said which way. Uh-huh. Anyways, um, so uh, sometimes we have guests, sometimes we don't. Um, but we uh, talk about great, great, uh, great movies like uh, Shattered Glass yes. and The Social Network and... Uh, a futile and stupid gesture, among others. Um, those are some of the ones that we've covered so far, and uh, we're going to cover a lot more. So uh, please uh, subscribe on Stitcher, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you uh, find your great, fun podcasts. And be sure to share it with your friends. Do it. Do it. Do it. And make sure you're not afraid to get all too, too real. Bye bye. How how are things going on Bosch? Are you, you back to filming or we're we're back to filming. We started about a week ago. Uh they are uh, of course it's very difficult uh uh with the covid procedures. Yeah. Uh but they're they're really bending over backwards to uh uh make it safer but in my case I I had the virus in March. Oh wow! Yeah, holy shit! Seventy-two-year-old fat guy had it and lived to tell. Man, I'm glad glad for that. Yeah. Was it was, was it was it, uh, was it pretty bad? It was it Sometimes. was pretty bad, but I, I this is where I was really lucky. I was one of those people, and you probably know if you've read about it at all that the symptoms vary a lot. Yeah. And in my case, I, I had a bad temperature only one day. I was very sick for two weeks, but only one day did my temperature go over 100. And then it went back down into the high 90s. And, uh, and I never had it in my lungs. And I never had the cough. And now this, you know, I'm not giving you this as uh, like a scientific fact. Yeah. But it's anecdotal observation by doctors that it turns out in January I had a physical and I was vitamin D deficient which happens to a lot of old guys you don't get enough sunlight and when you are in the sun you're wearing sunblock and you and you don't get the vitamin D you said you have to take a vitamin D uh, pill so I started doing that in January and it turns out they're noticing now this hasn't been proven in a, in a test yeah. so I'm not saying that but doctors are noticing that a lot of people who have the experience i had of getting sick but not getting their lungs filled not getting pneumonia not getting the terrible cough are people who are on vitamin d wow so uh, i tell everybody it's i'm not saying it will keep you from getting it but it's something you can do that costs nothing there's no danger to you from taking a vitamin d supplement it's yeah. not expensive and 
I take one myself. I, I work a third shift job, so I have to. I, I've been taking vitamin D for years just because of that. So I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> in case, yeah, in case yeah, I get absolutely. Or something. I mean, if that yeah. does happen, yeah, if that does help. Um, so, so are they? Is is it? Are the days longer and everything on Bosch because of the COVID? No, the days are about the same length, but I I, I think they'll have more days, more shoot days. Yeah. And they're, uh, uh, you know, I'm so appreciative of the company because. They're spending a fortune. Yeah. You know, they uh, they have, a, I mean, I don't know how many, but I mean, they've hired a ton of extra people. And everywhere you look, there's some guy with a sprayer and they've got a hand cleaner and everything you touch, they offer you hand cleaner and they've got, and they've got masks and they'll give you packages of masks that take home and they're just, you know, they, and the, the crew is that they're all masked and, and everybody who goes on the test on, on the set is tested every morning. Wow. That's good. Where you go on the set, they do the, the nose. And it's not the back of the, have you had any tests? No, not yet. But yeah. So there's, there's one that's, uh, it sounds worse than it is, but it's, you know, where they slide a long Q-tip yeah. back in your sinuses. That's not pleasant. No. Uh, now the one that they're doing on Bosch is now the one that I just described to you, that supposedly is the most accurate one. Yeah. And I've had several of those on Bosch. And technically, I shouldn't have to take it because I already have it. I've had it and I have the antibodies, but everybody has to do it. Yeah. So, okay, fine. It's better to do that. Yeah. Then, then the one that they do every day is they swab both nostrils and it's just a Q tip in your nostril and that's it. It's not. They're, it's not invasive. Oh, that's good. Uh, and uh, and that's a fifteen minute test. Oh wow! And then, but but nobody nobody gets on the set without being tested. Yeah, because I was wondering how they were doing that because I heard of a lot of shows going back to filming, and I was wondering, you know, yeah, because yeah, so, like I I uh, started seeing like soap operas going back first and everything, and I was like wondering how those because that's crazy. But yeah, but and that's also know, yeah, good to know you know like coming back. You know, if you're like the star, like if you're if you're Titus, Titus has a a big trailer and yeah, deserves and needs, mm-hmm. and then we're in what they call a three banger. You know what that is? It's like it's a it's, it's a long trailer. It's broken up into three little yeah little dressing rooms that are that are pretty decent. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're certainly all that I need. Uh, and normally then those are used by whoever's working. Like the, if I'm working tomorrow, I'll use it. And then the next day, uh, if some other, if I'm not working, they put some other actor in there this year, they're not doing that. Yeah. So they, so they're spending this. So they have to have more space, more trailers, more, you know, everything's more, but I have, and you know, normally I only work a day or two per episode. So they're paying for a trailer to be there. Uh, for out of the average week, it's it's there six days unused for the one day that I'm there. Oh, know? wow. So. Yeah. Well, they got to do what they got to do, unfortunately. It's hopefully, yeah. hopefully this all gets figured out someday soon and that the government will start to believe that it actually is real. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I know, I'll tell you, this is just uh, uh, a little personal thing that aggravates me a little bit when I hear these people uh, denying it, that I have a 65-year-old brother who lives in New Orleans, 
and he and his girlfriend got sick and they came and got her and took her to the hospital where she died oh, and wow. he died he died alone in that apartment oh, and he didn't have with him and he laid in a John Doe freezer for four months before we could even find him oh my you god know? I mean you don't think of that happening in no. the United States of America in 2020 That's so sad you know yeah he's a good guy yeah sorry to hear that yeah. And, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty horrifying. Yeah, because I've had a few friends that their uh, their dads have passed away from it, and yeah. it's just, it's sad. Now, now, where, where, where are you located? Uh, I'm in Ohio, Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's the... Oh. Yeah, my, our governor was doing good, and then he changed things and opened up too soon on certain things, I think, so I don't know. Mike DeWine. Yeah. So it's just hard to say. I mean, he was he was one of the best at first, and now I just don't know what he's doing. I think he's kowtowing to the deniers of stuff and certain things. So, because there's yeah, there's a lot of places I think that are open that shouldn't be open. Yeah, or at least, yeah, and, yeah. And, and there's anything you're going to open. There's uh, there's like you know, what we're doing on Bosch, it's very onerous. It's just a pain in the ass. We were, mm-hmm. You know, we're wearing masks in between takes and then, yeah. you know, they, they say rolling and you have to take your mask off. And it, it's funny because it's, it's, it's happened, you know, I just worked a little bit, but it's happened several times that you'll be just starting the scene and you know, I'd say, uh, Greg, are you going to take your mask off? <laughs> 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 you know they're going to get into get into the editing room, and there's going to be some guy in there with in the scene with a mask on. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, have uh, a, I have a short film I was working on right before the pandemic that I want to finish, and I think I'm going to write the masks into the scenes I need to film just to just yeah. to get it get it finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know it, it's but yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, is there a Anything you wanted to share with anybody before we uh, wrap things up? I don't want to take much more of your time here. Oh, no, but it certainly has been pleasant oh, chatting yeah. with you. And, uh, I just, uh, uh, I I appreciate you taking the time being interested in a, yeah. in a funky old actor, man. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, have to have you on again because I, I love your stories. They're great. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I, I do stories, so... <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reach out. I, I'd be happy to do another one. You're you're very pleasant to talk to, and you know it may be that when you air it, uh, I, I don't know how much feedback you get, but uh, but it, it may be that that you'll get something from some people that will suggest some uh, some questions we could in, entertain. Yeah, I'll uh, they'll have people uh, send them some questions about you or the entertainment industry in general and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks. Yeah. Uh, uh, you you're. You're an excellent interviewer. I had a great time. I wish you the best. Yeah. And remember, flush the turd November 3rd. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Stay healthy. Thanks. <laughs> okay. That was my interview there with Troy Evans. I uh, hope to have him back on the show again sometime soon. He was a yeah great storyteller, as I said before. Um, yeah. Um, what um, What's on your mind today, Matt, before we close things up here? <clears throat> Not much. Just um just, you know, usual stuff. Just uh, you know <clears throat> just just hang in there, try to at least. That's what I'm trying to do. Um you know, just 
just be nice to people. All the all the basic stuff, really, you know, stuff that you know we we learned it. Children, kind of try to be more patient with people. I'm really, kind of talking to myself, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, <coughs> something the other day when I was at the doctor's, um, talking to a nurse there, and it made me realize that when we were kids, you remember cooties, like how you would have cooties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you wouldn't touch the girls or you wouldn't touch the boys or whatever because they had cooties or whatever. Yeah. So that that sort of thing. Um, you know, defending yourself from uh, COVID is very similar. So I think yeah. we learned this shit when we were kids, people. Let's just pretend. Right. Let's just pretend everybody has cooties and there is no shot for the cooties yet. There is no cootie <laughs> shot. Right. That's all we got to do. Just pretend that, okay? Just pretend you're back in you know, first grade or whatever, and, you know. Yeah. If they can understand it, why can't we? Right. And why can't we be friends? We can't be friends because we're not allowed to get six feet away from each other. (laughs) Exactly. God damn it. (laughs) And that that cooties is not, you know, a satanic conspiracy, you know, or, you know, or the Obamas or... You know, Jewish billionaires or whatever yeah, that you Bill know. Bill Gates or George yeah. Soros or yeah. the Roth- Rothschilds or some lizard people from <laughs> the planet Xenop or something. You know, I'm, I'm just saying. No, I just no. Made, get your get your facts right, Mike. It's from the Draco star system. Come on. Oh shit. Um, yeah. Where, where, where's Xenop? <laughs> And the moon is their is their kind of their spacecraft power slash you know Death Star. Come on, if you're gonna if you're gonna make fun of the conspiracy theories, you gotta get you know you're right. Oh, that's right. Xenop is where all the werewolves live, right? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it is. The werewolf well, people. Well, well, only only blue werewolves. Only oh. the color blue, specifically blue. There might be an indigo in there here and there every once in a while, but that's uh, abnormality. And they're, um, and they're treated like shit because they look different, right? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much yeah. on every planet, yeah. yeah. So. so there's ra- racism <laughs> there, too. Okay. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, indigo lives matter, man. Anyways, um, the... Uh... <laughs> what the, what well. the fuck am I talking about, people? Anyways, oh, um, so... I think um, Matt and I need to go like get sleep or something. Um, yeah, yeah. So hope you enjoyed that interview there with uh, Troy Evans. Um, great guy. Um, like I said, I can't wait to have him on the show again. Um, Here's some more stories from uh, from him about his uh, life. It was just fascinating. Um, so you know, be good to each other. Like and share and. All that good stuff this episode and, you know, visit our Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Shia LaBeouf would say. Anyways. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to All Too Real 2 Podcast, a Cullen Park production. Produced and edited by Michael E. Cullen II. Music by Matthew Haas. Subscribe and share the show. Visit us at CullenPark.com.